but I am so appreciative of kind of the emphasis that you guys are placing on missions and saying this is a priority for us. There are not a lot of churches that are doing that, and so it's exciting for us to be here. Um, Andrew mentioned this is kind of our, this is our home church. We feel like we're coming home. Every time we come here, it feels like we're at home, although so many of you don't know us because King's Chapel has grown so much uh, since we were here from 93 to 98. This was the, our home church. We were on staff with Campus Outreach at West Georgia. We were here for five, the first five years of our marriage. And this church shaped so much of who we are. And, um, and so we're just so thankful to be home among family, even though uh, many of you don't know us. We're the, the weird, I said this in the Sunday school hour, we're like the weird cousin that shows up at the, the family reunion that nobody really knows. But, um, but we are part of the family, so we're excited to be here. <laughs> so... Um, just, you know, um, I, we moved to Belarusanche, Brazil 20, 25 years ago. We were there for 22 years, raised our kids there. We thought we'd be there four or five years. It turned into 22. Um, amazing how that happens. You know, God just continues to direct our steps, you know, and, and takes us places that, that we never thought or imagined that we would be. And that's the way, that's the way his kingdom mission works, is he calls and we go and then we continue to to follow him. So just, I want to share some this morning. I'm just going to set up a little bit our time. I'm going to share some, some principles um, for missional engagement from 2 Corinthians 4 and 5, mostly from 5. Um, you know, the Apostle Paul always has some great principles to share about missions. You know, he's the LeBron James of missionaries, you know, Jesus being Michael Jordan. Um, so I'm sure that, you know, we'll, we'll get some goat discussions from that, but we'll table those until after the, until after the service. We can debate that some more, but um, not the Jesus and, and Paul part of it. Jesus definitely is the goat of missionaries. Um, and so, but just a little ba- bit of background from 2 Corinthians. I think, you know, Paul wrote 1 Corinthians because he had received some disturbing and distressing news, some issues in the church there, and a lot of immaturity. Um, the Corinthians were very charismatic, very gifted, very sensual people, but there was a lot of immaturity in the church. And so Paul wrote 1 Corinthians as a, you know, as a response to that. And then at the beginning of, and then he follows up that first, that first letter with, um, with a visit. And at the beginning of 2 Corinthians, he talks about that. He says, but I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy and for you to stand firm in the faith. For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. You know, if you have had anything to do with ministry, if you've invested any of your time in spiritual leadership or evangelism, discipleship, you understand what he means when he says painful visit. You know, that's what we would call a come to Jesus moment. You know, that, you know, it's those, those difficult, challenging conversations, confrontations, and exhortation. And so, but, but I think he's writing 2 Corinthians here. He's saying, I really want to encourage you. I want to encourage you with the, with the gospel. And so, and then specifically, you know, kind of in, um, in chapters 4 through 7, Paul is really setting forth kind of a new way of life, um, that is tied to the cross. It's a way of life modeled after the cross. He's encouraging their growth in faith and subsequently action by showing that the Christian life is modeled after the way of the cross. 
So I'm going to use some of this passage to kind of encourage and exhort us um, in regards to mission and missional engagement, both individually and collectively today. And I'm going to use the term missional engagement because I think sometimes when we say missions, and I'm so excited you guys are thinking about missions outside of here, but sometimes when we say missions, we think, oh, that's out there. And so I'm going to use the term missional engagement because I think the idea of missional engagement is, is something that missions is something that happens here and there, certainly. You know, it's Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. It's Carrollton, it's Bremen, it's, it's Newnan, you know, and, you know, it's dog fans and Bama fans. You know, the Bama fans would be probably Samaria, you know, it's like... <laughs> You guys, you, don't, you guys don't like them very much. And then the out there, you know, the ends of the earth, that's the football fans. That's what you guys call soccer. But what the rest of the world, you know, that's the, that's the real sport. You know, that's the ends of the earth out there. But we're going to talk about missional engagement today to make sure that, that we got that it's something for all of us. So I'm going to read, let me read kind of the main text that I'm going to work from this morning. And then, then I've got a few points to share. If you want to read along, it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verses 11 to 21, and I'll just make a few points um, from that, and then also uh, mention another passage in in 2 Corinthians 4 later. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others, but what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ, according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Father, would you speak to us now from your word? Would you fill our hearts with the knowledge of your glory in the face of Christ. Would you open our eyes to see? Would you open our ears to hear uh, from you this morning? Not from me, but from you and from your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to share four principles. And I, um, we had dinner last night with Ed and Carol and and. Um, and the Heinz, and so um, Ed, I was telling Ed a little bit about the sermon, I said, he said, I said, yes, four points, they all start with P, he was like, that is so Baptist of you, you know, and so 
Anyhow, but that's, uh, it, it helps me remember it. Hopefully it'll help you remember it a little bit. But I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, four principles that we, can see, that we see here. Um, uh, principles of missions from, from the Apostle Paul. The first is just the privilege of missions. And, you know, privilege is something that's often hard to recognize. You know, there's been a lot of talk in and around the issue of race over the last few years about this, you know, this phrase, white privilege. And I'm, we're, I don't know what your stance is on that or how you feel about that phrase, and we're not going to discuss that. That's not, that's not my main point this morning. But I think as I've reflected on that phrase and I've, as I've thought about privilege as a white male, privileges that I've have received as a result of that and as I've reflected on that you know I've I've thought you know like um I've never really recognized that I've in in that way um as in to 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 the degree that I am recognizing now but but hopefully as I reflect on that and think about that I can see that in a greater way and then and also use that for the benefit of of my neighbors and those around me and so, but, you know, it's interesting, you know, whatever you feel about the idea of white privilege, you know, it's like we have Jesus privilege. And so many times when we read our Bible, we don't really understand the privileges that we have in Christ. The privileges that we receive when, when we receive the call to follow Christ. And so I think but Paul is really hitting on this in this passage um, and I want to be able to understand and recognize those privileges so that I can, so that I can uh, use those for the benefit of my neighbor and those around me, whoever that may be. And so, you know, when I think back about this, this, this part of the passage towards the end, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Do you ever read a passage of scripture and you think, I know I've read that a thousand times, but I just saw that in a new way. It just jumped off the page at me. And like, like I'd never read it. And I think over the last, uh, there's been a while now I've been reflecting on this. And I, and I think about that idea that he gave, you know, Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. If that, if, if that doesn't amaze you, if you can read that and it, and it doesn't just jump out to you and scream, what an incredible privilege. Then something's, then, then something's not right here. Then something's not right in your heart. We, our oldest daughter was, uh, got married in May of last year. And the whole weekend, it was just like, um, it was just, you know, it was just so much fun. And as a father, and I think the reason that I had so much fun was because I had zero doubts about the guy. You know, so it just made the whole weekend so much fun. You know, because I had zero doubts. But, you know, I've imagined that scenario many times and, you know, what it was going to be like to hand off this precious jewel, you know. And I was thinking, in, so, I've, you know, in my worst fears, it's like, you know, handing this precious jewel to some dude who has no idea how valuable it really is. And I think about this and I think 
that's the way I kind of feel about this. You know, like he's, he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. What? Are you kidding me? That's like Jesus handing the precious jewel to me, to, to this dude who really probably has zero real understanding of just how precious it is. But it's an incredible privilege that we get to be a part of God's kingdom work. And we will never, we'll never really maximize our energy for it and our commitment to it until we can really understand the privilege that it is. I mean, think, you know, as though God is making his appeal through us. That is crazy. That's crazy. So it's an incredible privilege for us to, um, to receive that. And so I think, you know, one of the things I've, you know, we talk about IQ and then in the last, you know, several years, a lot of talk about EQ, but I've been thinking about MQ, like, you know, our, our missional quotient, our missions quotient, you know, and how do we, how do we measure that? Well, I think when we think about privilege, I think that we measure it, um, we measure it through our gratitude, through our thankfulness. And that's a, that's a clear theme throughout the New Testament. Paul, over and over again, you know, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, give thanks. You know, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known. As you receive Christ, so walk in him, rooted and built up and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And then from Revelation chapter 7, people from every nation, tongue, tribe, along with the angels, all together before the throne, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power. So right there, the passages we were reading, you know, about what worship around the throne is going to look like and thanksgiving is a huge part of that. And so I think you, we measure our um, recognition of the privilege that it is to be a part of the kingdom work by how grateful we really are. And I'm going to, that... Um, you know, I think that word there for thankfulness in the New Testament is eucharistia, eucharistia. And it's where we get the word Eucharist, which is the, is the, refers to the Lord's Supper, which is an act of remembrance and thanksgiving for the cross. And I think as we are thankful for the cross, as we understand the privilege that we have to be a part of God's kingdom work, then that's... Um, then then that overflows in, in action, in our, in, in our um, joining God's mission in the world. So, so anyhow, but I think anytime we talk about the privilege, a privilege of something, there's, you know, almost always a price tag attached to privilege. Um, you know, there is no privilege in this life that doesn't require demand some requisite price. And I think Paul... In other portions here from um, chapters 4 through 7 in 2 Corinthians, he, he begins to talk about not just the, the privilege of, of missional engagement, but the price that that is. You know, just about anything that you, that is extremely rewarding also involves a steep price. If I went through the room and I said, hey, tell me, you know, what is one of the, one of the things that has been most rewarding in your life? 
inevitably there's going to be a price tag attached to that. And I, you know, but in order to get this, to be a part of this really rewarding endeavor, I had to suffer in these ways. And so I think, you know, one example for me, lots of couples here, young children, I saw the, you know, the herd like leaving, Um, you know, but I think child rearing, having and raising kids, Um, you know, it's funny, the first words that I, um, when I find out, you know, we deal with a lot of young couples and couples that have come to Christ through the ministry and begin to have children. And, and when they first tell me, um, yo, we're going to have a baby, you know, it's like, I look at them and I say, your life will never be the same. And, you know, and I kind of laugh because I'm sort of joking with them, um, sort of putting the fear of God (laughs) in there, you know, but it's true. It's so true. What an incredible price. There's nothing, I, there's, it's one of the things that's the most rewarding but it's also, what an incredible price. I remember the night the, that our oldest Meg was born. We were living in Carrollton. We were um, poor missionaries, so we were on Blue Cross Blue Shield of Alabama at that time. So we had decided we, didn't, we, didn't want it, we wanted to pay the copay in Alabama, so we were going to drive to Birmingham you know, uh, for Meg to be born. So Christy had been having contractions all night and woke me up about 6 a.m. said, you know, I think we need to go to the hospital and, you know, you probably are sitting there thinking, now, why was he sleeping while his wife was up with contractions all night? But, you know, I needed energy for the drive. <laughs> um, and so, so, but anyhow, we got in the car, and as we were headed out of town, I was like, you know, we're, I was like, you know, I think I'm going to stop for a biscuit. Is it okay if I stop for a biscuit? You know, again, I needed my energy for the rest of the day. So, but anyhow, we, we got to, to Birmingham, and and, you know, she was in labor, and then that afternoon, friends and family began rolling in. Some folks from King's Chapel came over, and, you know, about, I think about 7 p.m. or so, Meg was born. We took all the pictures and, you know, basked in the, basked in the arrival of, you know, of our sweet girl. And then everyone left, and we, you know, kind of collapsed, honestly, you know, and we were trying to get some rest, and we were there in the room, and I was sleeping on one of those couches. And, and so people had said, you know, hey, when you have the baby, send her, send him to the nursery while you're in the hospital so that you can rest. And we were like, no, 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 we want to be near her, you know. And so like we finally passed out basically. And then somewhere, I don't know, two in the morning, something like that, just woke up to this ear piercing wail that sounded like some kind of alien, you know. It was like, I don't think I've, you know, the pitch and the frequency was so high, you know, and, and I literally, the first, I mean, I'm laying there, I'm exhausted, and the first thought in my head was, what have we done? <laughs> what have we done? And, you know, but that's, I think that's, again, anything that is truly rewarding, any endeavor that's truly rewarding brings a price with it. Um, and so I think one of the passages when I think about the price of missions and missional engagement is in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And, you know, we all want to be seen and understood. And we went through a really difficult time in the ministry. Uh, around 2008, we had, we, we had a division with, within the church and within the ministry. We had uh, several of our Brazilian staff that left. It was contentious. It was, it was painful. It was really painful. And I remember, you know, huddling with the staff 
for days on end just to try to process all of this and the hurt and the pain. And, and I remember we read from 2 Corinthians 4 almost every day. And it was like, now I feel known. Now I feel understood because of what Paul was saying there. And, you know, and just to read a little bit of that. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. With ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. If you are engaged in missional, uh, in God's mission, in his kingdom work, if you are truly engaged in that, you hear those words. And they resonate with you because you've experienced that. You've been afflicted. You've been crushed. And I would say if those words don't resonate with you, then you, you probably need to question, how engaged am I at a missional level in God's kingdom work? Because there is a massive price tag that's attached to the privilege of missions. And, you know, we see Paul, again, connecting this price to the way of the cross. We proclaim Jesus, not ourselves, as your servants. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. We have this treasure in jars of clay in the same way that our master took on flesh to incarnate the glory of God. We are afflicted, persecuted always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, given over to death in the same way that our Savior was afflicted, persecuted, giving himself over to death. So, God, so Paul here is reminding us of the price that is attached to our missional engagement, but also reminding us that it's worth it, that it's worth it to pay the price. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. So, I think as we move on, we've talked about the privilege for missions, for missional engagement. We've talked about the price, and I want to talk a little bit about the power. So, where does Paul get his power for missions? What gets him out of bed to continue in the work after all of this suffering, this price that he's paying? What continues to get him out of the bed and I want to focus in on 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, 
Therefore all have died, and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. I think this is the cause and effect of missional engagement. Uh, the word concluded here is krino. I'm sure that Andrew can give you the right pronunciation in the Greek. Um, but it's, it's a word that's used 114 times in the New Testament. 88 of those times it's translated as the word uh, judge. And so what Paul is saying is the verdict's in for me. I've determined the verdict is, I've judged that Jesus died for all, that, for all those who now also have died, that those whom he calls and trusts in him would no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and was raised for them. So this is, this is Paul's cause for missional engagement. This is, this is why he said, I, you know, I've determined this. And he's landed on the cross on the gospel as his reason for being a part of the kingdom work. But what's the effect of this? What's the effect of his, his determining, his judging that, this is, that the gospel is true? And the cross is the reason. Paul says, because I've concluded that it's all about the cross and the gospel, I'm now controlled by Jesus' love. It's what moves me. It's what motivates me. And that the word there controls is the word um, suneku in the Greek. And it means controlled or held captive or afflicted or tormented. Um, it, it can mean like hemmed in like a cow in a chute. Like I have no other, it's, it's, it's overtaken me. And so a couple of other instances of this word in the New Testament, Matthew 4 so his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains. Luke 4, and he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill, so afflicted, ill. Then all, Luke 8, then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. Think about that word. So afflicted, like a disease takes over your body. Seized, like you've been taken captive. You, you literally are a prisoner. And that's what Paul's saying. He's saying, the love of Christ has seized me like a disease. It's overtaking me. Um, I had dengue fever a couple of times in Brazil just thank God that dengue fever doesn't exist here. Just thank God for that grace. It's, it's often called um, bone break fever because the body aches are so strong, it, it feels like your bones are breaking. And I remember, um, this, I think it was the second time I had it, and I was laying in the bed, and I just, I couldn't sleep. The pain was so great. And I literally, I reached over, Christy was sleeping, I reached over and I grabbed her hand, and she woke up and she said, are you okay? And I said, I just don't want to be alone right now. I was, so, I was hurting so much. But this disease, you know, this fever had overtaken my body. I remember um, one time shortly before we got married, I was, it was on staff here. We were in Carrollton, and I got a, a stomach virus, you know, like one of those that it's like my life is ending, you know. It's one of those like this is never going away. You know, I'm hugging the toilet. I'm confessing sin. Just, you know, praying to God, deliver me, oh Lord, whatever have I done, you know, like, take this from me. And this is what, but this is kind of what Paul is saying. 
you know, this thing has gripped me. It's overtaken my body and my mind. It seized me. And, you know, the cross is our power source. It's our motivation for missional engagement. You know, and, we, and I think we have to understand, we have to admit, you know, Paul also wrote, wrote um, Romans chapter 7, you know, where he says, um, you know, I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. So I, I think we understand that it wasn't 24-7 that Paul was being controlled, being seized by the love of God that he saw in the cross. You know, and I, I do think that as, as I've reflected on, reflected on what is my motivation for missional engagement, I have to confess that there have been fleshly motivations attached to that. You know, my own... Um, significance um, you know my desire to to prove myself in evangelism um, my desire to be recognized in evangelism and I think you know um, and I think even fleshly desires that that keep us from engaging in the mission you know that and so I, I think we have to confess that at the same time, you know, we live in the flesh, we live with the flesh and the spirit, that in the spirit, our motivations should be controlled by the love of God that we see in the cross. But I think that we have to confess when we have wrong motivations as well. And I think at the end of that, that passage there in, in Romans 7, where Paul's talking about this, this battle between the flesh and the spirit, he says, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so I think he's once again saying, he's recognizing, I need the gospel. If I'm going to be engaged missionally, if I'm going to be a part of this great kingdom work, if I'm going to experience the great privilege of being a part of this, then I've got to go back to the cross. That's where my power comes from. That's the power source. It's got to be Jesus flowing through me. So I think, you know, I mentioned before the connection of thankfulness to our missional engagement and the recognition of the privilege we have to be a part of God's kingdom. But here it shows up again. This is the Eucharist. This is the table of remembrance. This is the thankfulness for his body broken for us, his blood poured out for us. And when we immerse ourselves in that, when we go to that table, not just in moments like, are we doing this today? <laughs> are we observing the Lord's Supper Day? I'm assuming that we are. Um, but not just in moments like today, but on a daily basis as we are as we are immersing ourselves in the cross and what and God's Jesus' blood shed for us, that's where our power comes from to be engaged in his kingdom work. Lastly, just want to share a little bit about the promise for missions. And again, it's tied, it's tied back to Jesus. Our whole life, you know, our whole Christian life is is wrapped up in Jesus. 
Um, but what is the assurance that we have that this mission will prevail? Like, why would I give myself to this, to something that's going to cost me so much that, that I'm going to suffer for? Like, how can I know that, this, that, it's, you know that it's worthy? And we just saying that it's worthy. So, but what is the assurance that we have? 2 Corinthians 5.21, the last verse there that I read earlier. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the great, this is the great exchange. This is what biblical scholars call double uh, imputation. Our sin given to Jesus and as a result of his death, his righteousness given to us. So the assurance that we have is Jesus. He is, the, he is the assurance. He is the promise for missions and our missional engagement. This is his mission. And as he calls us to himself, then we, as we're clothed in his identity, we receive his mission and his commitment to that mission. 2 Corinthians 1 earlier in the same, same letter Paul says, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. And so the promise for, for us to be engaged in his mission is rooted in him. The greatest promise for missions is Jesus and the fact that he is with us and he is in us. And we see this from the, from the beginning. He said it to his disciples all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. And behold, what? I will be with you. I'm not just sending you out there. I'm going to be right there. You're displaying me. You're a minister of reconciliation. You're an ambassador of the King. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses. My witnesses. Because I'm going to be there. I'm in you. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. This is our promise. This is the promise that we hold to. Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's his mission. And when we are reminded that, like Paul, we say, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. He lives in me. And when we say that, then it's his mission. And we can't help but be a part of it. So I think in conclusion, just... Thinking back through, I hope that, that you can reflect on this later today is just, you know, what is, your, um, what is your recognition and understanding of the privilege that it is to be a part of God's kingdom work? Are you paying the price? Are you willing to pay the price? Are you ready to, to pay that is the cross fueling your missional engagement? It is, the, is it the power source for your engagement in, the, in God's kingdom mission? And finally, how sure is your missional identity? 
I've talked a lot about missional engagement today. Um, and, you know, I, I, I said earlier I wanted to talk about missional engagement because I wanted it to, to be, I didn't want it just to be missions is out there, but it's right here. But I do want to say I'm so encouraged by uh, how you guys are, are placing a priority on talking about taking the gospel to the nations. That's so encouraging. And I would say, um, I, I would say that from among you, you should, you should consider, should I go? Should we go? Should we take our family? And I would just say this in conclusion to that, when we were preparing to leave Brazil after 22 years, you know, we were, um, COVID hit and we were kind of locked down. We had planned all these going away. We were going to go away for weekends with dear friends, with um, brothers and sisters in the faith, with children, spiritual children in the faith. And I think over the course of 22 years, I had the opportunity to officiate probably 15 to 20 marriages of students, of people, of, um, of people that had come to Christ through the ministry and had met through the ministry and were married and now they're having children. And so it's just a, an incredible blessing. But I think as, as we started to leave, we, we began to host some people that would come, came by our house and we sat out there on our porch because, you know, we were wearing masks and we were, you know, distancing. And, but just to say goodbye, it was definitely not the, the goodbye that we had hoped for and planned for. But as we were sitting there, a, a common theme was so many of them saying, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for bringing the gospel here. And my life has changed and my family's life has changed. And I remember sitting there shedding lots and lots of tears. And all I could think of and, and all I could continue to say to each of them was, we got more than we gave. We got more than we gave. Like, I, you know, and that, you know, it's like we didn't, we didn't give that much. We got to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it. He says, I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. And I think that's the real root of a heart for missions is your understanding, our understanding that being engaged in God's kingdom mission is, is how the, the, the joy of the gospel flows into our hearts. We, you, you will never give more than you get in return. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that while we were still sinners, while we were enemies of the cross, that you demonstrated your love to us in, in allowing and in your, in your son choosing to die so that we could be a part of your kingdom, so that we could be a part of your family. And as we meditate on the privilege of that and as we root ourselves in thankfulness for, for the cross, Father, I pray that that would flow over into us being controlled by, by your love, in us taking your love to our neighbor, whether it's across the street or on the other side of the world. Would you 
Teach us to root ourselves in the cross and to take that message out as you fill us and flow through us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.